Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. We're back at it again. I am your host, Ethan Lipsitz, and I'm here with Soren. Can you tell me how to pronounce your last name, Soren? Eilitsen. 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 Thank you. Soren is a PhD as well after Eilitsen. Uh, he helps build successful and enduring businesses that make our world a better place. He works with business leaders to clarify vision, invent new strategies, and develop the necessary leadership muscles to really make our world thrive. He's been educated as a psychologist, and with an extensive background in business leadership, Soren challenges the status quo as a catalyst. He develops competencies as a coach and brings sound advice as a consultant. He's also known as Step In with interim leadership when needed. To educate the next generation, he teaches business strategy as an adjunct faculty member at Pepperdine University's Graziodio School of Business and Management. That's a tough one for me, too. Graziodio. Graziodio. Thank you. Graziodio. Um, very cool. Well, Soren, I'm so happy to have you here. We met in the context of the old business that I used to be CEO at, Aplique, um, and you came in and helped us with some some things, and you brought me and one of my partners in the business to a really cool conference uh, around conscious capitalism and really got me thinking about how to integrate purpose and love in business. And so here we are on Love Extremist Radio, and I really want to get to know kind of this angle of how we can approach the world with love when we talk about business. And, and you're, you're my business, my compassionate business friend. So what, what, what's some things that come to mind uh, or some, maybe some stories or, biz, or businesses that, that inspire you that really you see bringing love into the world, spreading love in there, both in, w internally and also beyond? Um, great question. Uh, Ethan, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah. Great to see you again. It's been a while since we met up in person, so uh, good to... It's great share to this see space you. with you today. Absolutely. Um, businesses that introduce love. I, uh, you know, it's a tough question because uh, love and business is not necessarily what people think of in the same sentence. Uh, so, uh, so when I think of love and business, I think about people that actually want to do good in the world and people that want to do good for people. So, to me, in business. Uh, that notion of uh, growing and bringing, bringing and love and good things into the world are, are very, uh, very much associated. So when I think about companies that do that, I think of, of uh, great business leaders such as 
people behind Patagonia, mm. people behind uh, LinkedIn, a uh, company just here in uh, in Los Angeles, not Los Angeles, not too far from where we are, called Decurion that runs ArcLight and uh, and other businesses are really very much into helping people grow and uh, and do good things in the world. Interesting. And so, when you talk about helping people grow, do you feel like that is at the expense of the environment or resources? Like, is it humanistic in the sense of like people first before all else, or do you see businesses that merge the two? Well, the the issue in the past has been with capitalism that um, you know profit comes first, right? And and profit above everything else, and that uh, typically uh, means that uh, uh, people are means to creating that, as opposed to uh, people also being an end in themselves, right? And when if you can introduce the notion of uh, human development and 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 uh, human learning inside a uh, a company and uh, and do that in an authentic way uh, and some companies are doing that now and uh, beginning to uh, uh, really uh, see that that people are ends in themselves and therefore deserve uh, a, a focus so I mentioned the Curian. Uh, they are an example of uh, a company that um, um, Harvard professor Robert Keegan wrote up uh, as a deliberately developmental organization, where they actually put people development before profit. Or they say that if we focus on developing people, profit will follow. Um, so um, uh, that's an amazing new development in, uh, in bringing more humanistic uh, uh, view into the uh, business side of things. And can you speak a little bit to the details of how that works? What, like, what does that look like at Decurion? It, it looks like the first question they ask people is, what do you want to do in life? What do you want to be in life? And how can we figure out how to educate and, you know, and, and, and forward your career in the context of our business? Wow. So, um, um, you know, and, and, and it's interesting that no matter what you want to be in life, there's aspects inside the business that, um, have skills that you you uh, likely can learn that will take you there. And if you can align what you want to do in the world as a career with what what you're doing inside the company, you know, uh, there's a chance you get a higher higher sense of engagement and, and meaning in your work, right? Right. So Decurion owns Arclight Cinemas. That's correct. That, that's a, that's a, a theater company, a movie theater company. But what else do they do? Is that their main business or do they do other things? They also, they run uh, Pacific Theaters uh, okay. is, uh, is uh, part of Decurion. Um, uh, and so is uh, a real estate company called Robertson Property and, uh, and uh, a few other businesses. And, okay. Uh, uh, the interesting thing about that company is their fundamental purpose. I, I've worked with uh, the um, uh, uh, leader of the company's CEO and uh, uh, a family-owned company. His name is Christopher Foreman back in the 90s. And um, uh, he, he uh, originated a purpose for the company, which is basically to provide places for people to flourish. Wow. Um, interesting. So, And, and uh, they've turned that both internally in terms of uh, putting a learning and development focus first inside yeah. the company, but also into even Arclight, you know, where the purpose is, you know, 
you know, prove to to uh, uh, create a place for movie lovers. Right. Arclight is an incredible experience. I mean, you pay for it, but it's it's a very high end, one of those high end theaters with a restaurant and bar and you know cafe and has decent concessions and high quality. You, you know, they pride themselves in having high quality theaters with good sound and experience and all of that. So that's really interesting to me that, you you know, it seems to me like a business like that, that focuses on the people first, almost needs to have a diversity of options for their folk to get involved with, whether it be real estate or theatrics or management, right? They need to have, be robust enough to offer different pathways for different people so that they can support someone who say, wants to get into leadership or wants to get into sales, right? And, and some businesses are a little bit more laser focused and they might only have kind of one path, like we wanna have the best suitcase in the world. Do you think that that can also still be a development? What's what's the term? A development based organization? Yeah, the question is, you know, do you do you believe that that you should um, have a job for life, or do you believe that the 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 uh, then the job you have now is a is a, uh, a leg on your journey? And I think that's uh, probably more what the Curian believes, which is we are here to provide you your next step. If that step turns out to be two years or 10 years or 20 years, we don't know. It depends on when, actually, you know, if, if you ask Christopher Foreman, when you can no longer learn things here, you probably shouldn't be here. Got it. And are they active in, in articulating that to people? If, if they're at a place where it's like, you know what, you're not really growing here, will they say it's time to go? I believe so. I haven't worked inside the organization, so I'm speaking uh, based on... Um, uh, conversations with Christopher and others in the company, as well as um, uh, reading uh, Robert Keegan's uh, book called An, An Everyone Culture, which uh, basically went inside uh, uh, the Curian for a number of months, if not a year or two, to study the practices and came out. And they only found three companies in the U.S. they could characterize as as deliberately developmental organizations. Wow. And then the notion of that is basically that uh, human development and getting the culture right is more important than the, uh, than business strategy. Right. And that culture can drive business strategy. It's so interesting because I remember as CEO that feeling that you'd have certain employees, you know, dealing with HR and issues around your team is always paramount and continues to take the forefront. Um, and I really like where this conversation is going, even though I want to back out and talk about love more general. Um, but just I remember as a CEO, there was always this conversation around people who came to us saying, I want to be paid more or I want to have more responsibility. I want to be doing X, Y and Z. And sometimes it would be clear we don't have that role or we don't have that need as a business. And so the loving thing to say is we don't have that role, but I encourage you to find it. And that's not here, unfortunately, at this time. And it almost seems counterintuitive because if it's a great employee, you want to hang on to them and find ways to make, make them happy and have them stay. But simultaneously, if their goals are beyond what you can provide in a, as a business, the loving thing to do in a leadership position is to say, this business you know, might not be the right fit at this point in your life. And you, you know, clearly can and should ex excel in other roles. So I remember that being an interesting challenge and one that's kind of feels, I don't know, 
a little bit of a conflict. I think it is, but you know, one of the things we talked about is, you know, what uh, what is love inside business, and and what is a better expression of love than than helping someone on the journey, right? You know, of growing. If you fundamentally, as I do, believe that part of life and being is unfolding and growing, right? So that is a perfect segue into the more general question: What is love? <laughs> well, I. I I think I just try to define it inside the business context, which, you know, I, I, I truly believe for myself, you know, when I look at my own life that um, I remember back in the 90s, you know, kind of what is life about? And the Socrates, uh, Socrates' statement of the unexamined life is not worth living, right, rang really true to me that, you know, life is about exploring and figuring out, getting to know yourself and, and developing. Mm. And um, uh, so if, if you, as I believe that, you know, what is the greatest gift you can give to others is to help, help them grow and extend yourself, you know, in the service uh, of, 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 of helping someone else. This is awesome. You're really a love extremist. You know that. Um, you're, you're you know, a- before you, I never thought of myself in that term, and I'm not <laughs> sure I can go there. <laughs> well, here's why I say that, because what you're articulating is an intentional activism around love, mm-hmm. right? The intentional activism is supporting the development of others, and I believe oneself, in uh, their growth, in their evolution, in their expansion, and in, and in examining their life and iterating on it, Right. And you are an incredible coach and, and teacher in doing that with business leaders and others around the world. And also, it's great to hear that you frame that. You did mention the caveat, that's how you define love in business. So does it change when you get into being a father or a partner? Or, you know, how, 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 does, that, how does that maybe change in, in your definition of love in other forms? I think that's still a core component, but I, I also believe that when you know I look at my family, my 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 wife and and daughter, you know, there's you know empathy, compassion that is, and commitment, maybe even more in terms of commitment of staying with them and being in relationship and working through things that adds on top of what we discussed. Mm. So empathy, compassion, and commitment are like. Mm, spices that you put into the mix of love in beyond that kind of belief in someone's progress. It's also sticking with them and staying by their side as they grow. Yeah. And that when a more intimate context is what makes that feel more with more depth. Perhaps. Exactly. You know, it's like not that empathy is not uh, compassion is not there in a business sense, but I think you make a commitment to working through things, you know, you make a commitment to, as you said, in, uh, intimacy, and you know, and with my wife, there's a uh, physical component to sure, that too, right? Sure, of course. So it's interesting. Do you feel as though the business relationships, even though they may be loving in the context of supporting someone's growth, there's a little bit of a coolness in the non-commitment? I don't know. I think that way. I always think I'll know people forever. <laughs> Um, and then it turns out that some I won't, but many, many I do end up knowing forever. And, you know, frankly, many business relationships turns into friendships. Yeah. But you never quite know, you know, and, uh, but uh, I, I, I always go in there with 
uh, that as a as an opportunity. You know, God knows you and I may sit here thirty years from right. now uh, having a beer somewhere. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, you do have that stickiness, Soren. It's it's really interesting. So wh- I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> Turn that back on you. Well, yeah. Uh, to me, what I what I mean by that is I think like. I, I was thinking about your feedback, your advice, your challenges that you posed to, you know, th- our team when I was in a CEO role, as I was thinking about other business and other opportunities and realized, you know, I really value your feedback. I also think us being from different generations, I, you know, and you having had so much experience in the business world, uh, working with other businesses of all different types and kinds and sizes, really, um, lends you credibility and, and, and a valuable experience that I really look towards and appreciate. So that's kind of what I mean. Well, you know, just to comment on that, you also know that, you know, we are still seeing each other, although we are not necessarily in a business relationship. Right. There's a very much a time, you know, I think when it's very important for me to understand when things have to transition. Sure. You know, and, and, uh, and, and that the stickiness doesn't become about let me see how I can continue a relationship because there's also a monetary component to that. Right, right. Well, yeah, and you are also very fair around that and, and conscientious but also conscious, which is not always the case. I think someone with your background, and perhaps the next question I want to get into is um, kind of sharing a little bit of your story and your background. Um, but... With, with your background, a lot of folks are almost untouchable without, you know, paying up front, right? You want my time? This is what it costs. And you've been very generous with me and my team in bringing your value and your, your expertise. And I know also you've also been in situations where, you know, you've been well compensated for your work. Um, but I'd love to hear a bit about your background and your backstory and how you got to this point. Um, would you be willing to share a little bit about, you know, where you come from and, and, and some of the things that you're most proud of in terms of your, your progress to now? Yeah. Where do I start? You know, you detect an accent, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm not born in this country. I uh, was born in Denmark. I was actually born in a, a relatively small town with uh, 10,000 people mm. and I uh, grew up there till I was 15. So my, uh, it was, it was countryside and, uh, and very rural. Uh, so, uh, Did you know so, all 10,000 people? Well, it's funny. You actually recognize most people on the street. So, uh, uh you know, I, I know from experience I can't know more than a couple of hundred people, but, uh, um, you know, in uh, in the context of a small town, you know when there's a stranger. Right. Uh, and uh, <laughs> You're not from around here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, uh, so that, uh, I don't know how much that shaped me because, uh, but, you know, it's probably more the Danish culture uh, and the social norms in Denmark, which are very different than here. You know, we have something in Denmark called the law of gender. What's that? Which is basically like we have in the U.S., we have the American dream, right? Uh, 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 freedom and pursuit of happiness and, uh, and, and the one with the most toys, you know, win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in Denmark, we have the opposite. We have um, you can't be better than anyone. You can't stick your nose out. You have to uh, fit inside the social norms. Wow! And uh, so, uh, so I grew up with that, and uh, uh, um, 
coming here was kind of a breakaway from that when I came here about 35 years ago. Okay. I was a breakaway from that. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, first six months to, to, to just take a course here and then uh, thinking I would go back. And now 35 years later, I find that the ability to grow and experiment, experiment with myself here is much greater than it was in Denmark, partly because of those social norms. Hmm. Uh, but it's also given me an, an opportunity to kind of break free of that to some extent. Mm-hmm. And actually to the extent where I come to see the value of both, uh, both having grown up and, and understanding that social norm of having to fit in and be part of something, be part of a, a so- social group, but also uh, um, the notion to to the pursuit of happiness and freedom to, to do what you want. Um, hmm. So those two uh, have almost become a yin and a yang for me in terms of understanding aspects of life that's so interesting so do you how do you handle individualism and 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 the uniqueness of the artist for example in denmark how, how is that approached well there's still an art a great art culture in right. denmark and uh, uh i think the artist group you know try is probably the counterbalance to the 98 percent of society that is uh, is is more mainstream but um uh, so, um, so it certainly exists there too. Okay. So there is this kind of you, the individual does exist, and yet, for the most folk, the the dream is really to be part of the whole and to kind of blend in. Well, to blend in, but also it's it's like you know if you dream about becoming a carpenter there as opposed to making millions of dollars, that is just as well accepted. Oh, got it. Uh, and and you don't see the disparity between rich and poor as you do in in this country and and the kind of the dream of becoming rich beyond all bounds you know which seems to exist here doesn't exist in Denmark. Would you say it's still capitalist though? Yeah, it's still capitalistic, uh, but it's uh, what we call a social democracy. You know, right, right. some people in this company will call it in this co- country. Sorry, will call it a socialist or right. or bordering on communist, but that's not my experience of it. It's a social democracy based on free market and capitalism. Do you feel as though since there are good public services, right? So you have good schools and healthcare and things like that. It frees people up to maybe re- relinquish the dream being solely about wealth. Um, because so often it seems as though, at least in my experience, the, the idea of having a family, it's less so having a family so we can have all our toys in our big house, but more so how so we can have great education, access to great education mm-hmm. and access to health care should we need it and access to healthy lifestyle. Right. And that's maybe like the, the young modern American dream. It shifts, but those things aren't guaranteed by our country. Yeah, and they, they are pretty much guaranteed in Denmark. You know, you have free education. Actually, you get paid to go to school. Wow. Big secret. Uh, and you get uh, free health care. And, uh, uh, yeah, so all services, uh, all, most services are taken care of. You have a, a decent pension system that works for everyone. So you you don't have the... Uh, the the fear of falling through the net and and uh, is is not as as prevalent there as it is here. Sure. Mm-hmm. So here you kind of have the com- large corporations at least taking up a lot of that responsibility around healthcare, around retirement. Um, do you think that's a healthy approach to that safety net, or do you think it's kind of a 
more of, I don't know, do you think that there's benefits there? It's, it's great that you have great benefits, right? However, you know, it almost creates the notion of indentured servitude because mm-hmm. it's hard to shift job. Right. Corporations can freely hire and fire people, but it's not so easy as an employee all the time. Sometimes it's easy, but not all the time to to move from one job to another. And especially if, if it comes as a surprise that you you suddenly are without a job, right? Right. So uh, so I think it does have any uh, some backside in that regard. Yeah, it's interesting. Where in a business do you think the love needs to flow from in order for it to flow through? Like what what department do you feel is the most important, at least as the catalyst for a loving enterprise? Well, it has to start at the top. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, uh, if, if it's not held uh, as, as fundamentally by the top leaders, uh, then it doesn't matter if that's a department that's trying to do it. And, uh, and frankly, I, I've come to see the notion of thinking about people, uh, uh, thinking about people inside a company in functional areas uh, creates a lot of problems often. Mm. Uh, because functional areas become small tribes that almost starts at times working against each other because people are not fully engaged in the overall mission of the company. They're engaged in preserving their tribe. So especially as companies get bigger, uh, you know, tribe starts happening inside uh, functional areas. And uh, Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, that tribalism and the kind of hoarding of resource or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you avoid that in a large company? Well, it starts with the top leadership and then it starts with uh, having the executive team that's sitting around the table begin to um, really work as a team in the interest of what the company is trying to do mm-hmm. as opposed to a committee that may sit and, and uh, delegate the resources and, uh, and protect their own turf. Hmm. So coming together as a team at the top level and showing that to the rest of the organization. Um, and when it comes to love, obviously, if that's not built into somehow into the company's core values or fundamental purpose, then uh, it probably won't show up. It's interesting because you hear a lot about HR departments and how, you know, there's this mandate to keep employees happy and to support teams and bringing wellness into the workplace and making environments with clean food and great yoga classes and all the things to make it a cool place to work. You know, you hear about Google or I recently visited Airbnb and they have these incredible offices and things happening all hours of the day and night. So you can be at your office as much as possible and then, you know, doing your extra things and then going back to work and totally comfortable in that. Do you think that that is a little bit of like a a duping mechanism in order to kind of like get employees to stick around and work harder? Or do you think it's actually uh, a really valuable practice and shifting the way that businesses function? It's funny. I visited Google in San Francisco on Tuesday, so uh, <laughs> I got a tour of the whole building. And <laughs> amazing. And um, yes, uh, everything from uh, from the the free gym to to the um, 
to the haircut place, to the right. uh, three meals a day. Um, yeah. Um, Gourmet chefs, the whole deal. Yeah, and sitting on the the roof and uh, and looking over the bay and uh, um, having a cup of coffee. So there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's uh, it's uh, it's what we would all like to work in an environment like that. The question is, um, um, is it addressing individuals, and is it in, in addressing you know kind of the fundamental thing we talked about in terms of what I'd like to see. If, opportunities for people to grow right or is it comfort comfort and duping yeah so um i don't think i'm uh, qualified to answer that one. <laughs> yeah you were just there you gotta you gotta stay in the good graces i understand um I'm, I'm i'm interested in so you're saying that it really needs to start at the top and you know that means the the c-level team really needs to embody the values that will then um become examples for everyone else how do we train leaders? You're an educator. How do we train folks to adopt those um, meaningful missions behind, you know, whether it be loving or compassion or give back? What, what are the strategies with which you think we can shift business out of this pure kind of um, bottom line orientation and into really serving people both inside and outside of the corporation? Great question, and uh, I'm not sure I have all the answers to that. Uh, the The fundamental belief is that people can develop, mm -hmm. and the fundamental belief I have is that that as we talked about earlier, that this is part of life, and we we should engage in learning and development. The question for all of it is how much have we developed? And you and I have it in the past talked about kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how mm -hmm. that relates to us unfolding maybe our perspectives in terms of a me orientation, mm -hmm. ego centric or, you know, personality that we all have in us to a us centric to more we centric and, and, uh, and maybe even transcending that to being in service of, of, of others and, and the globe. And uh, the question is, where are we at on that journey? And I see a lot of leaders taking the job for the wrong reason mm -hmm. uh, because it feeds the ego mm -hmm. as opposed to it's an opportunity to actually serve others and serve uh, the purpose of an organization, whether they have invented that or they are completely in line with that purpose. So it's almost like we need to put our psychologist hat on first and say, how do we get individuals to orient their purpose and their attention towards uh, more holistic worldly values that give back beyond themselves so as to be great leaders. Yeah, I think it starts with the leader taking a look at, you know, what are the, you know, desires and dreaded images of the ego and, and how does that play in their life and how much is the ego and, and what's in it for me part of what they do. I think it's in it for all of us. The question is, can you can you say that you have a greater purpose that's really in service of others, and uh, and and that's really what you default to when you uh, when you uh, pull the boots up by the straps and saying, hey, this is actually what I'm really about, and this is what gives my life purpose. Mm. Wow. So, I I I, I think. 
I guess I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to think about how we can articulate this because the value system that I see in media, in books, even in, you know, the metrics with which we choose someone to speak on the TED stage, right? Like the business community seems to still be in this mindset of valuing the ego more so than the contribution. And I see that time and time again, and maybe I'm wrong, but what I notice is we look to the individuals more so than the great companies. Um, and, you know, I had never heard of Decurion until you mentioned it, right? But I certainly know who Elon Musk is, right? I certainly know who Steve Jobs is. I certainly know, you know, who Bill Gates is. And these are all different types of leaders, but it seems like so often we find ourselves almost obsessed over this cult of personality around the leadership that doesn't necessarily get to the root of the love, <laughs> which is really about not that individual necessarily, but the structures that are created. Um, and maybe some of those more quiet leaders who have, you know, I've, I was listening to Tim Ferriss talk about um, the CEO of Teach for America, I believe, um, and, and how she is this incredible, you know, extremely talented, good to great, CEO and yet, you know, not a household name in the same sense. Do you, do you, what are your thoughts about kind of the glorification of the ego in, in business culture? And do you see that or do you feel like it's actually not necessarily the case? No, I, I agree with you. And I think uh, there's still very much a um, business results and the more charisma that's around that, the more attention you get, uh, mm -hmm. focus in, you know, in, uh, in the country. And, uh, and um, I, that's, that's how I see it. And it's, you know, if I agree with you, I don't, I don't have an answer for it, except, you know, we are not seeing beyond that. We are not, although I would say a lot of people, even with the, uh, hate to say the next generation, but uh, there a lot of people are beginning to look at our companies doing good in the world. Mm. And uh, and they're beginning to spend money aligned with what they see companies doing good. Uh, sometimes it could be a little difficult to see whether companies are authentically doing good or they're just uh, right. uh, pretending through great marketing and branding. But um, uh, I think with the internet and uh, information flowing much more freely, and and people being able to communicate about what they see, that it's, it's becoming uh, much more transparent to people who are really doing good and who are really just putting on a show. Right. And I think it becomes more and more clear also about uh, charis uh, char charismatic leaders. To you know, are they are they charismatic and doing good, or right. are they? Are they more really, in it for themselves yeah. and uh, the charisma of that. Pumping up their muscles there. They're doing good muscles. So you're you're pretty tapped into the youth, as I like to say. You know, you're teaching you're teaching at a business school here. So you're you're speaking to some of the I, I imagine some younger generation uh, or people in my case, maybe in their twenties and thirties, who are interested in management and business. Um, is that trend showing up in business schools? Are you seeing that kind of um, social impact, conscious consumption, constant, conscious capitalism, really getting into the the ranks of the business school set in in uh, where you are at Pepperdine. 
Yeah, a little bit. I uh, I see it, and I also try to bring it in. So, uh, right. you know, one of the first questions I ask students in my executive MBA class is, uh, "What's your purpose in life?" Yeah, and and that sometimes takes people back a bit. But I say the f- the fundamental to success is to begin to understand what is your purpose in life. Why are you here? Mm. What is it you are uniquely here to uh, to do? So, how do you answer that question? I've gone through iterations because it's a question I don't think it's, I think it's a question that unfolds and, 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 and mm-hmm. the answer to the question unfolds. And uh, I've come to a very kind of probably strange definition for myself, which is I'm here to uh, create trusted spaces where people can flourish. Trusted spaces where people can flourish. And and I, uh, t- I'm trying to see, and, and, and it came by by really trying to examine what is it I see working working in my life in across different relationships, whether it's in business, with my students, in uh, with my friends, in my relationship. And and what I came to understand through talking to people was that I bring a sense of facilitation of environment into situations where there's a certain level of trust created. And I think that's that's kind of my gift in terms of what I can do inside companies, whether it's one-on-one, in a relationship or mm-hmm. it's with a group of leaders that need to to engage in a difficult dialogue around where the company needs to go. How did you learn how to do that? I, I, that's a good question. I um, practice, just <laughs> practice and, and, and making one mistake after the other and, uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 and attempting to learn from it and, making new mistakes every day. Can you speak to a project that you're especially proud of that you've been involved with? Well, I work with a number of clients right now and uh, I'm also CEO of a small company out in Santa Monica and uh, working with that company, bringing bringing the um, business development team together uh, to work also friendly with the engineering team. Uh, very proud of the people there and uh, and what they're doing and uh, trying to figure out how I can be a good facilitator and leader there that uh, almost gets out of the way but create that trust between them that uh, they they show up empowered without killing each other in the process. Got it. Can you speak a little bit more clearly to what type of business that is? Are, are you at have liberty to talk to it or not? Not at this Oh, point? Right Amigos is a great uh, commuter uh, management SaaS solution that helps uh, companies and government um, basically take more sustainable choices in uh, in commuting to uh, to work. So, software as a service is SaaS, mm-hmm. and they provide a software that supports companies in. Basically, setting up carpools is that is that carpool is one of it, but you know we we call it multi uh, multi modal where you yeah. know it's uh, anything from uh, walking, biking, uh, public transit to carpool, okay, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so, providing incentives for employees to we provide use those tools. incentives through the platform to, for for commuters to shift habits uh, to take more sustainable choices. Ride amigos. Very cool. So it's you're you're unifying the business development team and the software team. Is that kind of the two core groups that you see really needing to build a, a strong connection? No, they they are two different teams per se, but uh, creating an environment where everyone is trusting each other and working together. Right. Uh, you don't want that tribalism. 
No, and, and fortunately, the company is small enough. Uh, the, the problem comes when companies get larger. There's a certain threshold in terms of when uh, politics appear inside business, and, uh, and uh, it's interesting to look at that and try to figure out how to overcome that. Is it the law of 150, or is it greater? Uh, what, what, what size do you think be, is where things start to get political? Yeah, it's between 50 and 150. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. How big is Rod Amigos? 20. 20. <laughs> nice and small. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. No big deal. But that's one example. And I, I have other examples of companies I'm working with where I'm, I'm just basically the facilitator with the leadership team mm-hmm. holding, holding the space, holding the um, conversation open. Doing some very exciting work with a uh, organization for the homeless here in Los Angeles called the People Concern, okay. where we have really fundamentally tried to ask the question: How do we end homelessness? Wow! And and put some real uh, uh, initiatives and strategy behind that. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, hoping to interview my friend Pete White from LA Can, uh, which is mm-hmm. one of the organizations on Skid Row, doing great work yeah. around supporting the houselessness population here. Um, so do you bring out, when you're in that leadership role, do you bring in other facilitators to lead programs or speak to the group? Do you have kind of, or do you take the group out of offsite, you know, to, to, to do kind of community building practices or things that kind of support the wellness of the company? So, I don't actually often take company uh, uh, um, leadership teams out. I would say uh, most of my work is done in the context of business because I think the moment you remove the context, you have another situation that is 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 different and may not actually transfer hmm. to business. So as soon as you get to I'm the bowling not, alley, things get weird. Well, I won't think it's weird. It's fun. I, I love, you know, tonight I'm going out for dinner with uh, with a team, right? And, uh, okay. and uh, you know, I love doing things outside work. Uh, and, and, and obviously those interactions help in forming relationships and getting to know each other, which is essential for for a leadership team to work together. Is, you know, it's like the fav- favorite saying, if you don't know... Uh, the the name of the children of the people you're working with, uh, you know, you can never actually right. have a relationship in business because you have to bring in both that personal side. You know, we talked about soul and spirit before. Yeah. Bring that in and uh, and and make sure you understand what is it that makes someone tick. What is it they love to do? Uh, whether it's inside business or or outside. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking about all the folks that might be listening to this podcast, hopefully not at work, maybe in the, on their drive or whatever, and are struggling to find where their work and their purpose align or how they can be better contributors to society and bring more love into their work life. Do you have any feedback for those folks, for people who might be listening who feel like they want to increase loving practices in their daily life on a general sense um well, big question i uh you know it's that's always with understanding yourself and and engaging in exercises that makes you understand yourself and uh, there are a number of exercises out there to begin to understand what what do i value what are my values what's my fundamental purpose you know you can almost google them but some of them are better than others uh, and um and then i'd say 
you know, in terms of working on yourself, I've done a lot of psychotherapy in my life. I've done a lot of meditation mm-hmm. and, and other types of personal development. And I just say, be curious and engage in some of that. You know, it's like the basics of meditations are just such a tool set that uh, allows you to, uh, to slow down and, and look at yourself. I want to double tap on that. Meditation has definitely been instrumental, especially in my healing uh, of my body, but also just in being able to show up joyful and in a present moment so that I'm attentive. You know, I find that doing podcasts is a little bit like a meditation because I'm purely focused on this conversation. Right. And yet, you know, there's so many ways of incorporating meditation in your daily work life as well that don't have to be disruptive necessarily to your business or to what you do. You're clearly a pro if this is a meditation for you because I'm not experiencing that <laughs> for well, myself. I've, I've had some practice. <laughs> well, to me, it's just an opportunity to be focused purely on the conversation, right? And it's reactive. You know, I'm, th- I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm processing it. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, I want to I engage you here. So what are, what are some, what's your reading list? What's like one or two books that you think are have been really instrumental in inspiring you around leadership and around self-development that you think, whether you're, you know, an aspiring leader, an existing leader, or someone who's just trying to find purpose in their life and in their work, do you have any, uh, any books that have really shaken you to the core? Uh, lots, lots of them. There are a number of books out there, you know, uh, most recently, um, you know, Fred Kaufman that worked at LinkedIn as the chief philosopher there wrote a book called The uh, The Meaning Revolution, okay. uh, which I think uh, has a lot of uh, amazing observations in it in terms of how how you look at your job and how you show up. Cool. Um, what else? You know, I mentioned uh, the deliberate developmental organizations, you know, Robert Keegan's and, and Everyone Culture. Um, in terms of Thinking about your your ego, you know, there's a, an organization called Learning as Leadership that uh, helped me quite a bit, um, mm. and this author called Shane uh, Hughes that wrote a book with a, a business colleague called uh, Ego Free Leadership. Cool. So that's three of them, but uh, we can Great. we can discuss more. Good recommendations. Yeah. No. Thank you. Yeah. That's excellent. Actually, let's mention, let me mention one more, which is um, because I did a little work with uh, an organization called uh, uh, Center of Courage and Renewal. Okay. And it's up in Seattle, and it's based on the work of Parker Palmer. And if you haven't, uh, don't know Parker Palmer, he's uh, just an amazing guy that's written a, uh, many books, but one of them is called The Hidden Wholeness. Mm. And it's basically uh, talking about his journey and the journey we can take to not live an undivided life. Wow. Because that undivided life is what shows up inside business all the time when we put a mask on before we go to work and, and we are fearful at the workplace as opposed to bringing our whole self in there. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, that's a good place to start if you want to try to begin to think about how do I think about my purpose in life and and bring all aspects of myself into life. So interesting you say that. Just today I've been thinking a lot about how I often associate my livelihood as a separate entity from my passion, right? And just naturally it's like, oh, if I'm making money, I need to kind of disassociate from passion and just focus on making the money. 
Whereas just today I was having this kind of revelatory awareness that I'm being asked to do things like podcasts or making art or um, bringing experiences to people, speaking, and this is all stuff I love. And it's like, what? I'm, I can make money, actually, you know, doing things I love. And it's always kind of been like that, but then I, I kind of get off track and feel like, oh, no, I got to chase the money, so I have to kind of separate. So it's, a, it's, it's beautiful to hear you say that. Parker Palmer, that's yes. this. Okay, great. Um, so I sent you a bunch of questions before we had this, and I know that you, you prepared a little bit. Um, are there things that you want to discuss around love and business and your experiences that we haven't covered that you're interested in or questions you have or anything that, that you think, uh, you know, we haven't touched on that, that would be interesting to discuss for a community of lots of lots of people who are fascinated about love. And we haven't really had anyone from the business, real heavy business side yet. I mean, we had some interesting innovators in nonprofit space and in, in food and culture, but we haven't really had someone like you come in. So any thoughts, anything that you'd like to share? Not anything that comes to mind. It was an intimidating list of questions you sent. So uh, um, I'm glad you forgot a few. <laughs> Which one was the most intimidating? <laughs> well, it started out with who are you, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you, but you shared it. I just asked it in a different way. <laughs> yeah, I like to be very confrontational in my questions. So, Soren, who the heck are you? Who do you think you are? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I really am inspired by your work and, and, and like you've, you've opened my eyes to not only the possibility, but the actuality of the changing tide of business and leadership and response ability, you know, and our ability to respond to the climate, to our culture the changes taking place right now every day in media and politics in our world and our social norms and uh i'm i'm no longer as allergic i think to business as i was maybe a year ago um after you know having this intense health diagnosis and shifting my my mindset and, and i'm really starting to think well what is a healthy framework to approach this and you've been really helpful in helping me refine my thinking so Thank you for for bringing your wisdom and your your guidance to my life and also to all the listeners here. How do we find you? What's the best way for us to follow along with what you're up to? I know you post on Instagram every hour, but no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I basically, think about deleting my Facebook account. Um, I um, yeah, well, thank you for the kind words, and uh, and, and and it's been a pleasure great getting to know you and. Um, uh, uh, Great to hear that I can have an impact. Um, how do you find me? I my company website is Colner uh, Group, which is a little hard to spell, but the K O L L N E R Group dot com. There's a great photo of Soren right on the cover on the front page. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so uh, you can find me there, and uh, you know it has my email there somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Well, def check out Soren's work. Um, and you recently published an article. Is it available online, or is it does it need to be subscribed to? No, I've written uh, I've written a number of articles, and uh, the one you uh, think about is is on my website. Uh, there's a blog, right? Uh, uh, button, and if you click that, you'll see the articles I've published in a number of different uh, magazine uh, magazines. And the latest one I think you you're thinking about is called. Bring the human spirit to business leadership. 
Yeah, and, and I think it's a, a great investigation into what we're talking about here and speaks about Decurion and some of the other um, interesting businesses that are doing good work right now in kind of innovating in their leadership models. So definitely encourage you all to check out Soren's website um, and also that article on the blog. And uh, last but not least, what's your favorite love song? Oh my God, that was one of the questions I actually had trouble with. But, uh, you know, I started to think back and I realized that most long so- love songs got ingrained back in my uh, late teens. And, uh, okay. And, uh, you know. So, some, uh, some Danish hits? What do we got? Yeah, Denmark? Yeah. Actually, are yeah, some Danish hits that I probably shouldn't <laughs> bore your listeners with. Hey, <laughs> man, we can get w- world music. Let's go. Let's get weird. But, uh, no, someone introduced me to Stevie Wonder back there, right? Oh and, my uh, gosh. And uh, Songs in the Key of Life is one of the most all-time favorites right and uh absolutely later in life uh, well actually back at that time too uh kind of probably a funny uh, choice but uh, uh i listened a lot to a an album by graham nash called graham nash. Uh, called, called um, songs for beginners which are very 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 simple love songs a little bit on the more dealing with the pain of love spectrum than uh, than maybe stevie wonder right and then, you know, fast forward, you know, it's like there's no one like uh, Leonard Cohen singing. Uh, oh, my gosh. Dancing in the name of love or I'm your man. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's maybe a little uh, on the edge love songs, but uh, stuff I love. Those are great. And it's funny you mentioned Stevie because Stevie, I think, is our most mentioned is that right? <laughs> uh, love singer, performer, musician. So he's definitely been on many episodes. I think w- from those selections, I'm going to say we'll, we'll, we'll pick one of those Leonard Cohen tracks to take us out. So um, this is wonderful. And uh, thank you, Soren. Um, one more time, your last name, Soren. Arston? I, 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 no. <clears throat> I'm so bad with it. Eiletsen. Eiletsen. E-I-L-E-R-T-S-E-N. E-I-L-E-I-T-S-E-N. Oh, so Eiletsen. There it is, Eiletsen. Yes, cool. You got it. Sweet. Easy. Awesome. Well, thank you, Soren. And uh, everyone check out Colner Group. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. This has been Love Extremist Radio. Please find us on all your outlets, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, tell your friends about it. We want to spread the love. Let's all be some activists for love here and, uh, and get that out as far and wide as we can. Have a great rest of your week. Take care.
Lift me like an olive branch Be my homeward dove And dance me To the end of love Yeah, dance me To the end of love Let me see your beauty When the witnesses are gone Let me feel you're moving like they do in Babylon Show me slowly what I only know The limits of and dance me To the end of love Dance me to the end of love Oh 